During the month of May, CDSW is running a listener survey to better understand how we can serve you, our listeners. Visit cdsw.com survey to have your say and be entered to win one of two Sled Island Discovery Passes. Six Degrees and CGSW are teaming up for a limited-run podcast series. This series features the full sessions from the Six Degrees event in Calgary, as well as exclusive interviews with Six Degrees speakers. To hear this and other parts, look up CJSW Six Degrees on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Six Degrees aims to counter exclusion in this unsettled age, and how we can connect, converse, and create with our fellow citizens. In a partnership with Six Degrees, I have here Adrian Clarkson, the 26th Governor General of Canada, and Stephen Boris, Director and CEO of the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Hi, Braden. Hello, Braden. How did Six Degrees start? Well, Six Degrees started um, after about eight or nine years of the establishment of the Institute for Canadian Citizenship, which was my legacy project as, as Governor General. Um, and it was uh, something that I really wanted to do because as an immigrant and a refugee coming to Canada during the Second World War when I was uh, two and a half years old, I wanted to do something for people who are continuing to come to, the, to our country, both as immigrants and as refugees, uh, to say, look, you know, you come to Canada and you can really become part of the fabric of this country and you can do it in your own lifetime. You don't have to wait a couple of generations down the road to get established. And I wanted everyone to feel that hopefulness and that idea that they could be part of something and that they would be welcomed by the people who are already here. So uh, we started out with very practical programs, um, and in all of uh, in your city in Calgary and and in Stephen Boris's city in Winnipeg. In fact, he was one of the, their institution, the Winnipeg Art Gallery, is one of our charter uh, members for something called the Cultural Access Pass, which is so famous now because it gives free access to about 1,500 cultural organizations across the country, uh, science centers, uh, the national parks, some provincial parks, uh, helps you to get a, a very good rate on the Via Rail, of I think it's half price, off the lowest advertised price, for one year after you become a Canadian citizen. In other words, we are welcoming you with this, and we're welcoming you and saying this is all practical stuff, and it gets you to know the country, see what it's like now, and see, I mean, implicit in that is if you see what it's like now, just see how you can add to it when you be, now that you belong and have become a, a new Canadian citizen. So all our programs are very practical. We have special citizenship ceremonies. We have them in, uh, we have them in Calgary, we have them in Winnipeg, we have them in uh, interesting places like White Rock, B.C. Um, and we have about 100 ceremonies a year, you know, 75 to 100 depending on the year, um, where we do roundtables and people talk about their experiences up to the moment, that moment when they're going to become a citizen. And they're very moving and very interesting. So all the stuff we did was very practical and grassroots. And so when we got organized by the time we have been going about eight or nine years, people had said to us, you know, you should be doing something where you talk to people, bring people in and discuss things, etc. And so we thought of Six Degrees, and we, um, we have it now in uh, Toronto for three days in September. 
Uh, we had it in Calgary last year in April, and now again this year. We've had it in Vancouver. We've had it in Germany. We've had it in The Hague in Holland um, and Vancouver. We really have had a very good experience with uh, the days where we talk about, and we have a theme where we talk about citizenship and its relationship to what we do as people. And so the one we're going to do in Calgary is about citizenship and relationship to, to cultural and cultural the cultural access of, of, of people when they come to a country, because there is no such thing as a country without culture. There is no such thing as a country that is simply an economic unit in which people work and earn money and pay taxes, and then that's all they do. Um, a country is made by culture, by, by its art, by, uh, by, its, by its understanding of, of music, by its understanding of, of how we create things in general, whether that's making sure that we save our trees and our rivers and our, our, our lakes, or all of that is really culture with a big C. And so that's what Six Degrees is. And Stephen, what's your involvement this year with the Six Degrees event in Calgary? Well, I was, I was contacted by the organizers, and they told me what their platform was and, and what they were trying to do in Calgary for this session. And I guess... Part of it is because we're building an Inuit art center in Winnipeg. It's the first of its kind, really, in the world. And it's a museum-changing project. It's changed me as a director. It's changed my staff. And I think, I mean, there are people that have been watching this project to see how we do it, how we respond. And um, while that is perhaps one reason I was approached, the WAG has is, is been constantly rethinking what is the role of the museum in the community. And, and I love what we just heard from Adam Clarkson about, you know, citizenship, what is culture, and how are we thinking, rethinking, how it's being defined today. And it's really impacted on my role as a museum director, as an art historian, in terms of what role can the WAG play in the community to be a, a better, more meaningful, more relevant player. And then, of course, the Inuit Arts Center is kind of the opportunity, the vehicle, to really facilitate some of these ideas and actions. So the reason why I have both of you today is because we are going to be talking about making spaces and how do our cultural public spaces contribute to citizenship, inclusion, and belonging, and how do we build them or improve them to make them fit for purpose? Stephen. Well, the fact that you're using those three words together is incredibly important and exciting, public, public, cultural, and space. Because museums, whether they be art museums or history museums or galleries, are not always those three things. And we have been, for decades, for centuries, oftentimes closed museums, closed spaces to many sectors of the community. And we have rarely reflected or responded to the community outside our door. So those words are really the words that have to guide the 21st Century Museum and, and have to guide the cultural dialogue. Perhaps the most important word there is space, because if we're a space, um, we have a chance of being impactful and relevant, because the space means next a public space and then a space for the public that involves culture. Museums have evolved already in a, in a great way, and um, certainly places like the Glenbow in Calgary and the WAG in, in Winnipeg have lit the way in many ways because they've, 
they've brought things to people where they are. For instance, where the Glenbow is located in Glenbow in uh, Calgary is a great statement in itself. It's right downtown. It has it has, has sidewalk presence so that people feel they can just make one step and they're in. And um, and I think that's important. The other important thing I think, uh, because I think all people like Stephen Boris and and um, uh, and and the people who run the Glenbow are are people who understand that they have to have audience because they care about what they have in their museums, which are precious and interesting objects that that tell us things about ourselves as people, and without which we wouldn't understand ourselves ever as people. But what is really interesting is that their example, because I think it wouldn't have happened if the museums hadn't been so open uh, and welcoming, has been now transported into other spaces so that you get cultural spaces that are no longer with, with walls. For instance, in Toronto, we now have a space called the Bentway. Well, where is the Bentway and what does the Bentway mean? The Bentway means the cement pillars that hold up the Gardner Expressway which is the expressway that runs along the southern edge of Toronto. And under that, for a couple of kilometers, four or five kilometers now, is space for art installation, for concerts, for skating. There's a two-kilometer skating path through it in the winter. Um, People play volleyball down there. They They have all kinds of performances. In other words, the transformation of space, which uh, museums led, because museums used to be kind of vaults of places where you tiptoed in, kind of looking at sacred objects that were the work of the artist, in quotation marks. And they opened up and they showed the way to the fact that you didn't have to have them feel so, uh, so cut off from reality. And by doing that, you know, children's classes, first of all, and then special evenings for people, and now, in, in, I know in the number of museums, they have Friday night specials where the young are welcomed and they dance and they, they, have free, you know, they have cheap food and they have concerts as well and they see the shows. So they become open. And a place like the Bentway or in New York, there's a place called High Line, which was an old uh, disused uh, uh, line of railway. Um, you have people using space they didn't think they could use to show themselves as creators of things. So I think that's what it leads to, and therefore it leads in all our places to art, of course, in parks, which are already set up for that. But it means that we don't separate out what is, what is culture from what is our real lives our, or what we would like to do. So you can skate past a painting at the Bentway. Um, you, can, you can eat, you know, you can eat looking at a sculpture. You can... Uh, do a, a long walk leading into a historic monument because the, the expressway is right beside Old Fort York, which is an 18th century fort. Um, and so it, it, it brings your reality together in a way which is imaginative, exciting, and doesn't exclude anyone. I mean, the thing is, it's not saying come in, come in necessarily, uh, because it doesn't have to. What it's saying is that you have no reason to stay out of this place you have no reason whatsoever not to set your foot in here because what, you, you know, what you're going to find is when you get here, there's going to be some stuff for you to do, for your kids to do, for you to think about. And I think that's the transformation that we in Canada can do, even with our somewhat inhospitable climate. So 
when we look at a public cultural space and the definition of a public cultural space, what are some touchstones or landmarks that can define a public cultural space? Well, first of all, I think you have to be able to sit down in places that you want to welcome the public in. So um, you've got to have areas where people can rest and they don't have to feel like they've got to keep moving um, because there's somebody behind them or because you'll block somebody's view or whatever. I think that you have to have that kind of space where people sit. So, you know, libraries are the great cultural space of our time, and I think Canada... You've got a brand new one in, in Calgary. Um, Winnipeg has always had great libraries because it's been such a cultural hub in Canada. You know, all the immigrants that came to, to Winnipeg wanted to have remember their own cultures, and they wanted to be able to learn to read and to make use of things like libraries. So in, in the prairie provinces like Saskatchewan and Manitoba, public libraries were huge areas for people to do things in who maybe other people wouldn't have thought, well, this is not, not you know, a kind of place for, for, in, for intellectual study for people who are working class. But, you know, people will tell you in the prairies that during the Depression, men went there to read who, you know, could, didn't have jobs and so on. They could go and find a warm place to sit and they could read. And so I think... Now, our libraries are places where people meet each other. They're no longer hush-hush, you can't talk here. Uh, public libraries are great places, it seems to me, when I go to the, the big one that we have in Toronto here, to, for people to pick up each other and have coffee and meet and, and do social things together. So culture comes right through as a thread in human activity. And I think that's what you're really wanting with everything that you do, whether it's you're presenting artifacts, whether you're presenting live theater, music, or, or hoping that people will consult the books. You want them to make that human connection through it. And I, I think that they're more and more vital in a time when a lot of people are not meeting face-to-face -face initially and where they are meeting strangers online. And, um, you know, I had this thought the other day, because I just turned 80, actually, two weeks ago. And um, I, had the idea, I thought of the idea that I never went, met or was alone with anybody um, that I went out with, for, you know, for, to go to a movie or to whatever, that I had not been introduced to by somebody I knew, that I knew personally. Well, that is completely changed now, because our idea of what society is and who people are that we know has been defined in a different way. And so we don't have that anymore. So our spaces have to become the safe places that we can have people together and help them to recognize each other and recognize in each other whether they have anything in common, whether they can become friends, whether they can do a project together. I think it, these spaces, and I include in that public parks and the large and very, very nice areas that many of our city halls have. Um, we do our citizenship ceremonies often in, in city halls all across this country, and they're always wonderful places to be, very well organized for people to, to do that. We've done that, that at the Winnipeg Art Gallery very successfully. And, of course, then it introduces people to that particular place, and they think, well, I've come today, I'll come back now. And that's really, I think, very important to us. Stephen, how can we define a public cultural space? Well, you know, it comes down to precisely the things that 
the agents be sharing with us, with regards to um, museums with or without walls, museums in penetrating, responding to the community. Um, I love. I also love the template for the libraries, and in a way, there are libraries as old, if not older, than museums, but they also responded in the last probably 20 years to communities, and they looked beyond a collection of books. They looked at creating spaces, but they also made sure that the welcome, that the threshold was easy in terms of accessing, understanding, and making sure that people were welcome. And so museums, you know, largely we are, we are buildings with collections. The question is, does the collection reflect the public around us? And, and whether or not that's the case, we, we try to, to achieve that. But more importantly is to make sure that people, regardless of their, their interest, their background, their experiences, where they live in the city or, in, or, or where their families are from, that there is, there is an invitation or that there's a, a welcome or a, the museum is a place they feel is, is that they might take ownership of. And we usually have one chance to convince people to come back. So when they walk through our doors, whether it's for a lecture or an art exhibition, um, a film screening or a wedding or a corporate event, is there something in that space, whether it's the art, whether it's the other people around, that say, wow, I, I see myself here. There is something here that I want to learn or discover. We have a chance of, of, of being relevant. And, and I find um, we want people to own the space, to understand it, to feel respected, safe, but also a place where they will learn something about someone else and they'll be exposed to something that they weren't aware of, um, a perspective, a view, an idea, and they'll say, wow, I'm, I've learned something, I've discovered something, this is where I can come back. And we know that's the case with libraries. And we know that's a place with um, performance facilities where people are exposed to other perspectives through culture. Museums are there and they need to be there. I think what's interesting is that libraries <clears throat> are a place that were seen always as, as the, where anybody could go. I mean, ever since the Carnegie libraries were set up mm. by Andrew Carnegie with his you know, enormous fortune that he made uh, out of steel, and he set them up all over North America. I think Canada was very fortunate in that he had no connection with Canada. He, he was born in Scotland, and he made his money in the United States, and his, his mining and everything was there. But having those public libraries, I realized that only when I went to France as a student uh, when I was 21. And I realized the big difference was uh, that we had with the French, that the, that the, the world of, of both Great Britain, because they had what was called mechanics institutes, where they had free libraries from the 19th century on, and we had free libraries in North America, thanks to Andrew Carnegie, since about 1880 or 90, um, was that the French had no free libraries. There were no free libraries unless you were, you know, went to school and stayed in school. You didn't have access to books, and most people could not afford to buy books. I mean, it's only, we have to remember, it's only recently, within about the last 80 years, that, the, that North America even has become so affluent that people buy books. 
Um, otherwise, people were always dependent upon being able to take six books out every two weeks from the public library. And my parents, you know, when I was growing up, we could not have afforded to buy me books, all the books that I wanted to read. I went to the library and I got six books out every two weeks. And um, that was because of Andrew Carnegie. And so you have to look at the idea of what is the public good and what, you know, what people can do with the kind of of, uh, funding that they they can give to things to say, you know, do they still perform that function? Do they still do that? And I think in a, in, a, in a country that has immigrants and continues to want to have immigrants, and we'd be crazy not to have immigrants um, because we need them. Otherwise, who is, who is going to uh, cause the growth in our population if we don't take more and more immigrants? I think it's very, very important that we understand that with with immigrants, you need to have libraries. And you know, far-seeing people knew that. I mean, they knew that in the West. They knew that in Manitoba and Saskatchewan. And in Toronto, I was very pleased to know, because I always thought somehow that Toronto wouldn't be as far-seeing as the West, uh, that Toronto, the, the public librarian, the chief public librarian in 1919, right after the First World War, uh, got a budget in order to get books in... 18 other languages in Toronto, uh, like Ukrainian and Polish and Czech and things like that. And um, knowing that Toronto, which was pretty white bread, white town at that point, uh, was going to need that kind of thing. So he got books for people who were coming in their own languages so that they could read, even though they hadn't learned English yet. And eventually, of course, they would be learning English. So that was that. Was that. And I think... That forward-looking of the institutions is important. I think, for instance, um, what the AGO and the National Gallery of Canada have done by placing indigenous objects with European art, European-based art or sourced art, so to show what the contemporaneity of those two art objects are is very important for us as Canadians, that we see a mask that, that, was, that was carved um, in the 19th century, and we see also a painting that was done by a Canadian painter of that period. So you can see that the artistic urge is the same, but it is expressed in a different way. And in Canada, we have to know that. We have to understand. And, of course, a place like Winnipeg, which is so rich in Aboriginal art and is now creating that Inuit gallery will have a huge impact, I think, on people's views of what our history is and what the impact, what the importance is of our relationship to Indigenous people. We've mentioned places like the Art Gallery of Ontario or the Winnipeg Art Gallery or the Calgary Public Library. Is it possible to reach audiences beyond these physical spaces? Stephen? Well, we have to. And um, I can speak, you know, first maybe about the Inuit Centre because Although we live in this amazing city called Winnipeg, Treaty 1, homeland of the Métis Nation, um, the Inuit, in terms of three indigenous peoples, would be the smallest group. And, of course, we have the largest collection in the world, but much of that work has been produced in the north, in the Arctic. And um, how do we even engage as the Provincial Art Museum with, with people outside our walls? You know, we're doing it... With, with a number of means in terms of technology, connectivity, putting kids face-to-face through Cisco, um, smart classrooms. We do it through traveling exhibitions. But as important, we do it through artist, curator, student exchanges. So we have Inuit kids here. We have our K-12 
kids going up to the north to Inuit communities. That's, that's, that's a big part of it. And it's also how do we, you know, back to the idea of museums without walls. Um, where are we in the community and are we seen in the community? And does the community see us here? I think we're getting better and better of, at connecting with other audiences. Clearly, we have, um, it's a little easier when you're dealing with those people who can walk or visit a museum and walk through our doors. But we do know museums have to be accessible in other ways, particularly those communities who don't have that physical access every day. I think we're very fortunate, and, and you know, you, you've done a lot at WAG, too, to have things put online so that people can look at them and uh, at least have a feeling of them, even if they haven't been able to walk into the place and see them beautifully lit and, you know, in their best possible condition. But I think having things available online has been very, is very, very important to community to be able to see that and to have that understanding um, even though I think we have to always understand that art does not have, mean the same thing in all cultures because some art is so sacred that it cannot even be looked at. You know, as, as we know with some indigenous art of the West Coast, the masks are not allowed to be really looked at. Um, and, and things that we might consider artistic, like sacred bundles, are, are not artistic. They are sacred objects and therefore not basically accessible to us, and we have to recognize that. And that sensitivity, I think, is something that we're very fortunate that we now understand and that we can teach to children and, and enlarges people's understanding of, I think, um, the sacredness of life and, the, and also the origins of all art and culture, which are, are in the sacred. I mean, they are, it's, there is nothing in art that is created basically, that has not an, an element of a thread of the sacred in it. And so if that is the way people can reach something beyond, you know, um, going to their job, going to sleep, eating, etc., if it can bring them to some understanding that that impetus, that, that impetus towards the sacred and the beautiful is also in them, since another human being like them with fingers and toes and eyes and hair and everything created that, that they have access to that because you also are human. I think that's, that's the challenge always now, I think, and that I think museums and, um, and galleries and so on are really reaching for is to try and get that acknowledgement um, in people that they understand that, um, that they're human and, like everybody else and that the human being is capable of the basest of activity and horror, but of the highest also. And if you want to aim yourself and your society at something that is going to help them be better and to leave the baseness behind, then the cultural spaces that we have and the activities we can attract people to with them um, is, is all to the good for our society. And that's why it should always be supported. There's the mission statement right there, because, I mean, art... Art is perhaps one of the most powerful tools or vehicles we have to communicate and to to allow people to see other people, other perspectives. And um, I like what Adrian mentioned about contemporary art making, depending on how you define that. Because as long as we are working with contemporary production, 
we have a chance to be impactful and relevant to the community. And then that's kind of exciting. And, and I feel as a value proposition for museums today, as long as we're engaging with the public and the production of objects, regardless of how we define them, people will find themselves or they will see others in them. And, and you know, just next door to the WAG, we're down the street, we have the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. And while it's a non-collecting institution, what is interesting is that the experience of you in front of the object is critical. However, the experience of you in a space with someone else responding to another piece and your exposure to them and to their emotions is critical to our understanding. And I think it helps us. It helps us. It's meaningful. We're exposed to other, other people and the way they respond to life, to situations. And I think that's where museums can be very useful in the community. I think you're right, Stephen, and I think in in emphasizing that community of the people, uh, there's a community of people that create the museum and keep it fun, you know, keep it going, like the the structure of the museum, the administrative structure and the artistic structure, but also the people who make the objects that go into it. But the other people who will, will never perhaps ever, you know, put, even do a drawing class or or think of it. But when they go to a place and they see something that is extraordinary, I think it's wonderful. And I I think the emphasis on um, installation art often is very challenging for people because it it helps them to understand how a rock and a piece of wood and something hanging from a string uh, is not just that because there's the impetus to put that together the way it has been put together and where it's been sited in that corner against that colored wall, etc., means that there is some meaning in all of that. And the idea is always, I think, for, for if we want to make a society where we are going to be good to each other and where we will help each other, as opposed to the opposite, which I don't have to name, then we have to be able to see how different people put things together and how they are valued. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about museums is that it can teach even children how what value is of looking at something. Yes, you see a stone in a completely different way, or you see waves of rubber in different way because the artist has arranged them to look like waves, for instance. But they're not waves, they're just big piles of rubber, or they might be old tires, or they might be photographs of old tires, but they're no longer that. They're something else. And it helps us to understand, even within our limited minds, if we are not in artists, that the artist has a special view that can bring up to the most horrible of situations something that is the creation of, of something eternal and meaningful. And I think that does a lot for our societies and for our ability to communicate with each other and our ability to say to each other that, you know, we understand each other. It leads to understanding as opposed to leading to closure. That's what you don't want in societies. You don't want people to close themselves off to each other. You want them to open themselves to each other, and that's a, a museum is a wonderful place to do that, or a park that has museum-like objects in it or sculptures, outdoor sculptures or whatever, is a great place to do that. Because I think what we're talking about in Canada, and so important now when the world is, is closing itself up and shutting people out uh, and saying that that is, that is good because it means that we can have more and we can be richer because we don't want to take poor 
dirty people that have 18 children and had to cross deserts and seas to get to us. We don't want them. Um, what what does it mean to us then that that, that we understand and can see that uh, you open up a society and you gain an enormous amount because it gives you the knowledge of other people's experiences without your having to have the experience. It gives you a knowledge of what suffering is without your having to suffer. When you look, that's the whole meaning of art, when you look at things like a crucifixion, or you look at a painting of a crucifixion, or you look at paintings of war and killings and so on, is because it, you understand by looking at what the artist has able has been able to show to you what it is like to that to be there but you don't have to be there yourself we are we should be so enormously grateful to all artists that to be able to live those experiences for us and often they do suffer enormously for it themselves within their their own psyches to be able to show us that and therefore make us more human because we understand it what should we be asking of those who visit our public cultural spaces? Adrian? Well, I think uh, what I would ask of anyone who goes anywhere to visit anything is to keep an open mind. What was the takeaway? What was, what was the feeling? And, of course, we have individual shows often. You know, the museums now show, you know, the life of David Bowie and his work, and, and they also show, you know, odd things like Louise Bourgeois' spider or something. So what is the takeaway well, I think that's what you want for people to, to understand when they go to a museum, that they feel that they could not have gotten what they got in that museum anywhere else. And I think that's what we're after at Six Degrees, that we're talking to people who are doing theater, who are doing... Uh, well, I think uh, Stephen is our most prominent person doing uh, a gallery, but we have, you know, Janice Price coming from the Banff Center. Um, we have people doing a lot of things where they reach out to the public or they've, they've put themselves on the line as artists or filmmakers uh, or designers to say, look at what I've created and what do you th- how do you think that has helped us to be more, um, more inclusive as a society? How, does, how has that helped us to, to be brought together rather than separated? Because all the talk now is how to keep people separated. And unfortunately, our societies have become ones in which the, 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 the gaps between rich and poor are enormous now. And I think because I've just turned 80, as I emphasize again, um, I remember when I was, you know, when we got our first car when I was 12. But I never really noticed that I was, we didn't have a car until I was 12 because most people didn't. I mean, that we're talking 1946, 47, 48. Canada was not a rich country. We didn't have the great gaps uh, that we have now, and we didn't have people showing us on television what everybody else has, and, and it wasn't about that. But what we have to do and what our cultural institutions can do for us, theater and museums, uh, uh, all of that is to show us that there are things that are eternal, that are not about having the latest, the latest gizmo or the latest jacket with the latest insignia on it or the latest pair of running shoes. It's not about that. It's about something else that is eternal, and that is what our cultural things do for us. Our spaces are all of that. That's what, that's what they show us, is what is eternal and what will last. Stephen, what should we be asking of those who visit our public cultural spaces? Actually, I was thinking what should we be asking ourselves in the museum industry. But, I mean, to answer your question, you know, 
when I think of that visitor coming in, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, um, have they have they gained acquired something more? And because we know, well, we sometimes fixate on the admission ticket, and we want to make sure that the museum is accessible. But for many, it comes down to time. And is it worth spending time in a museum or an art center? Or and that. What does that really mean? And, and that might be simply one hour of just enjoyment of looking at the way someone works with tapestry or with video work, and it's just pleasurable. Or it could be learning about another perspective, another economy, another country, another way of life. I think we need to be asking, do they see themselves in the conversation, in the narrative? Do they feel that they could actually impact on what we're doing? Because if, if they feel that way, we know they've taken some sort of ownership of our spaces, of our collections, of our programs, that they feel engaged, empowered, that um, this isn't just a space that they can visit and look at. It's a space where they can interact, that they can, can actually leave their impression they can impact. And, and if they see themselves in some part of our overall mission or in what we do, um, I think we will have succeeded. And, and I love the idea, as Adrian mentioned, you know, people leaving, not just feeling better, but, but um, wanting to do something. And, and maybe it's advocacy, maybe it's activating something inside of someone that we've actually contributed to making the community, the city, a better place, a safer place, more respectful, more open, more accessible. If museums are playing a role, and if, if libraries, if cultural centers, performing arts are playing a role, it means it's a way for us to be sustainable moving forward, because, because we will become essential. And, and we are essential, I believe, to the life and health of a community. But we'll make sure that not just the general public, the visitor, the tourist, but also teachers students, that the cultural space is for them for their entire life, and that it's always there for them, and they'll always be able to see themselves engage with these spaces in a meaningful way. Stephen, Adrian, any final thoughts? Well, I think that we are very fortunate in Canada in that we have uh, institutions that are happy to reform themselves, add wings to themselves, build new things. I mean, the Winnipeg uh, Museum of Human Rights, even though it isn't a collecting place, at least it's, um, it is a, it's something that's very, very important because um, it tells a story. Um, I think that we should not always think of things in terms of collectability or, or just we always should think of things in terms of expression of humanity. And um, humanity at its very finest creates the most wonderful art, the most beautiful music, the most wonderful words. And luckily, we are all equipped as human beings to hear those things, to see those things. And that is what we really should be aiming for, for all our citizens you know, museums, all of this, everybody is doing that. Stephen, I know, is probably spending half his day thinking, you know, it's not about attracting people who like pretty things and want to go to a nice place to do that. It's about how can we make this place, which has the best of wonderful 
things that have been created by humanity. How can we make people come to this place and understand it and be, as a result, more understanding of other people and of themselves. I think that is, I don't say that museums are therapeutic institutions or that they replace your your psychiatrist, but the point is that art and all everything to do with beauty, you know, goes in that little triumvirate of truth, beauty, and goodness. And um, that little triumvirate is very, very important to human beings uh, to be healthy and to be contributing members of society, because without that, they really can't function. I don't think that societies can function. Uh, uh, we learned that when we were in high school and we studied Greece. I mean, we thought Athens was the was the apogee, and Sparta, although it was big and strong and won a lot of things, just wasn't as great as we could imagine it. And um, and so we have always idealized that feeling that we could be better, that we could create more beautiful things, and that we that everybody can be involved with that, that it's not an elitist thing at all, that in every human being there is that longing uh, to be better, to be, to be uh, more associated with what is, what is interesting and eternal, and that is what everything that, that we're talking about uh, means, and that's why it is so worthwhile that we as a society in Canada understand that and support it and make it as open to everybody in our in our society as possible. Oh, it's hard to add to that, but but uh, you know I will say um, I love this idea of um, the community understanding art is not a luxury, it's really essential or the cultural expression it's vital and I I find more and more that people respond to other people often through cultural expression. And a dream for me is that in the, let's just say the K-12 school curriculum, that teachers, whether it's a language arts, a science teacher, a math teacher, that they will see in our cultural institutions tools to, for kids to learn, to discover, to understand. And it may be art for art's sake. It may be a story about the environment, sustainability, um, climate change, mathematics and physics, um, immigration, gender, race, that they would see in our cultural institutions, be they libraries, art museums, art galleries, useful tools to, to help students at every stage of their education. And if we do that, when those students graduate, not only would they have engaged with their parents, their guardians, their friends, but they'll continue to see the cultural space as critical as, as going to the groceries for groceries or filling up for gas because there's something that we offer that no one else can, and it's constantly evolving, changing, and also reflecting what's around them. And that, for me, I believe is achievable. And, and you're seeing it more and more with... with these cultural institutions. So it's, it's an exciting time. It's also a time when we really have to be responsible in the community. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by CGSW 90.9 FM and Six Degrees. To find previous segments as well as future segments in the limited run podcast series, look up CJSW Six Degrees on Spotify, iTunes, and your favorite podcasting service. 
Listeners can find the full list of speakers and the day's agenda for the 2019 event in Calgary, Alberta at 6degreesto.com slash Calgary 2019.